continuing as you are this year in the beginning of a movement. And a couple of weeks ago or so, I talked to you about the conflict that Jesus had with the Pharisees uh, that revolved around the Sabbath. And so tonight, I'm going to talk to you about something you probably really don't see or realize or notice that much. But it's the conflict that Jesus had with another religious group or party, and that is the Sadducees. And that revolved around the temple. So before I get to this passage, I'm going to spend quite a bit of time setting all this up. Because there's things you just need to know to set up what's going on, so to help you with it. Uh, first place, you realize the importance of the temple in, in Jewish life, is that was the central focal place of worship. If you go back to the Old Testament times, and you go back to the law, uh, they had the tabernacle. Uh, the tabernacle was that portable, movable tent uh, that represented the presence of God, the Holy of Holies, the Ark, where they worship. Of course, God is everywhere and always leads, but the temple uh, was symbolic of God there. God's presence was there in the Holy of Holies, the Shekinah glory of God. Uh, and eventually, under uh, Solomon, they built the temple, a more permanent place. Interesting enough, God never called for the temple. He never demanded a temple. He was happy with the tabernacle. It was David who wanted the temple. Uh, then the temple was destroyed in 587 B.C. at the hands of uh, the Babylonians and symbolized the destruction, God's leaving his people. Uh, when the Jews came back to the, the Holy Land, the Promised Land, very poor, very destitute, they began to rebuild the temple, what's called the Second Temple. They began to rebuild it in 520, and they finished it in 517. It was nowhere near as glorious and as grand as the original temple. It was, it was basically a uh, little more than a wooden structure. Uh, you could look at some old A-frame, clabbered types churches, uh, and you could see some of those, and that's kind of what it would have been the equivalent of, is it's not much. By the time that uh, Herod, you know, 500 years later, Herod came to power, Herod the Great, uh, without going into all the details of how and why, he decided to take the temple, which had had some work done and had been made better than it used to be. It was grander, uh, certainly than just the old wooden structure that they had put up the second temple. But he decided to refurbish it, and he began in 20 B.C., a 46-year, lived long past him. He was dead in, in hell before it was finished. But it took 46 years to rebuild the grand, grand, grand temple. Uh, the structure that Jesus would have seen in his ministry. In fact, the temple was finished about the time that Jesus uh, began his ministry. And it was a grand, unbelievable, beautiful sight. And it was, it was a glorious place. Uh, it symbolized the real power and presence of God. It, uh, it had a place for Gentiles to worship, the court of the Gentiles, a place that beyond that where the women could go, the court of women. Then it had the court of Israel, all the Israels could go, then the court of the priests, and then the holy place and the holy of holies. Uh, it, you know, obviously, that, you know, all the things that were in the original tabernacle and temple weren't there, the Ark of the Covenant and all that were gone. But it still symbolized the presence and power of God with his people uh, to the Jews. At the same time um, that was going on, one of the important things to happen to the Jews by the time you get to Jesus' day was the things that revolved around the temple. Now, one of the things that was important is that every Jew had to pay what was called the temple tax. Uh, basically, it was a right-to-live tax. It was a tax of being Jewish. Uh, it was a half shekel, inch half shekel, and it was uh, a particular Jewish kind of coin. And so every person, at least every adult, had to pay that. Now, they could pay it wherever they lived up until a certain point, and if you didn't pay it on time, then you had to come to Jerusalem and pay it at the temple. Now, they had to use the right coinage. So what would oftentimes happen is if you, the, the, the shekel, the half shekel was a rare coin, you know, not rare, but unique coin. Oftentimes people just had shekels, or they had Roman coins, or Greek coins, or some other coin. 
so what they would do is they would go to their local place, the synagogue, wherever a booth was set up where they lived, and they would make an exchange of whatever money they had for the half shekel or two half shekels, whatever it would be, so that they could pay the tax. And that was legitimate. And oftentimes what would happen then, the money changers, and it was a legitimate thing, would charge them something, probably pretty much like a bank does. If you exchange money, you're probably going to pay a fee to do that. Uh, I know my staff knows that if I cash checks out or do money for them, I'm charging them a fee. You know, uh, so I'm, I'm going to charge my guys. But, you know, I'm just kidding. Tony got that. But the thing is, that, that was legitimate. In addition, uh, you have to go to the temple to do a sacrifice. And, and so it was hard to travel with the right things, whether it was a sheep or whether you would go with uh, the, the doves or pigeons if you were poor. And so oftentimes what would happen is they would travel to one of the great festivals like Passover. And they would purchase the animal there. And that was a legitimate thing to do. And there would be a small fee for that. And so they would purchase the animal to do a sacrifice if they brought their own animal. And, and for some reason, it would be inspected. And if they had to inspect the animal and, and they found a blemish, then they would have to exchange it for one that wasn't blemished. There would be a small fee. All that's fairly legitimate. It's not a real issue. So to understand those are the things that would happen. That was part of the Jewish life. About the time uh, Herod's death, shortly after the death of Herod, a guy came to be called the high priest whose name was Annas in 6, 6 A.D., now, Annas was uh, put in place as the high priest, but not only was he the high priest, Annas was a part of a group that had been around for, for a while during the interbiblical period. You don't see them in the Old Testament called the Sadducees. You see in the New Testament Pharisees and Sadducees. You also see the rabbis who were kind of connected to the, to the Pharisees. There were some, some of both. The Herodians were kind of connected to the Sadducees, but the Pharisees and Sadducees were the main thing. Now, the Pharisees, there were thousands of them. They were of the people. The truth be known... The Pharisees were much more liked and loved by the people than the Sadducees. The people basically would have had nothing to do with the Sadducees. The Sadducees' entire focus was on the temple. They were in Jerusalem. They were elitist. Uh, They had nothing to do with the people. Um, They had a lot different understanding of Scripture in the Old Testament than the Pharisees. The Sadducees only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament, of their Scriptures, where the Pharisees believed in all of them. The Pharisees, to their detriment, had the oral law and tradition, but the Pharisees, all they had were the five books, and they were strict believers in what was said there, and if it wasn't said in those five books, they didn't believe it. So they didn't believe in heaven, they didn't believe in hell, they didn't believe in angels, they didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in life after death. The temple was simply a place where people would come to ask God to bless them in that lifetime. And in the course of of time, what would happen is the temple would become a place of great wealth. The temple was unbelievably wealthy. Uh, Sunday, I'm going to preach on a passage in Mark 12, occurring at the same time that the events I'm doing today, about the widow's might. And, and, and And the temple was such a great place of accumulating money, and a lot of those were good. The Sadducees connected with the temple, uh, and the head of the Sadducees was the high priest, and the head of the temple was the high priest. And in, six, in about 6 AD, I think it was, a man became high priest named Annas. And he lasted for about nine years, and then he was deposed. The thing about it is, Annas stayed in Jerusalem, and he saved in power. And over the course, up until 66 AD, basically, except for a few brief periods of time, there was always a member of his family that was the high priest. He had five sons, and I think one grandson become high priest. And he had a son-in-law become high priest. His son-in-law was a man named Caiaphas. He was the high priest during the ministry of Jesus. Now, this is important because you have to understand. Let me put it to you this way. The best way I can describe it is almost as if the high priesthood had become like a mafia. I mean, that's kind of a crude example, but I want to get that 
across, both in terms of influence, uh, who, who ran it, and in terms of corruption. So here's what happened. Annas looked and saw that all of this stuff about the way the money changers work and the way you could get the, the, the animals and all of that was a great source of making money. So here's what they began to do. They began to charge exorbitant prices for the money changing. So when people came with the coin to swap, they would oftentimes play an unbelievably huge fee, not a small token fee, but a huge fee to do that. In addition, because people you know, didn't bring their own sacrifices, to buy a sacrifice there, they would charge double or triple what an animal was worth. If you brought an animal to that place for the sacrifice, they would automatically charge you a fee for having someone inspect it, and they would almost always find the animal deficient. They would pay you below market price for the animal, and then the animal they sold you, they would once again pay double. So they were completely corrupt and ripping the people off. Everybody hated the Sadducees. They all knew what was going on. The Pharisees hated the Sadducees. Paul had come from the Pharisees. In Acts, when Paul was on trial, he used these guys against each other by talking his belief in the resurrection, and the Pharisees agreed with that, and so that completely blew up the whole you know, thing that was going on with Paul. Jesus also understood that. Now, the reason all this is important, because I'm going to talk to you tonight about a couple of things, and a part that has to do, a large part has to do with what's going on with the temple. The temple had become corrupt. To make matters worse, all of this occurred, and they would oftentimes call these, these places in the, in the temple the bazaars of Annas, the high priest Annas, even long after he was no longer high priest. The bazaars, you know, kind of bazaars. It's like going to our marketplace down on, on Saturdays downtown. The bazaars, and this is all this was going on. And it occurred in the court of the Gentiles. And that's important because if you were a Gentile and became a believer and wanted to have any type of worship experience, understand worship occurred in the temple. Worship did not occur in the synagogue. You went to the synagogue, you may sing songs, you may have preaching, reading the scripture, giving money. It sounds like worship to us, but to the Jew that wasn't worship. Not truly worship. The true worship of God occurred in the temple. If you were a Gentile believer, the only place you could go was the court of the Gentiles. And the court of the Gentiles was full of the bizarre events. So what you have in all four Gospels is an event that occurred two different times. John, in the second chapter, records an event that occurred at the first time Jesus, as in his ministry, went to the temple. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke record it on a second time on his last trip to Jerusalem at Passover in the temple when he was to be crucified. It is Jesus overturning and driving out the money changers from the temple. You need to understand all the things I told you helped set it up. I'm going to read for you from Mark chapter 11. What you see in Mark chapter 11 is also in Matthew, is in, I think it's Matthew chapter 21 and 22 right there in, in Luke chapter 19. The same thing occurs in John chapter 2. It's very similar. The language is very similar. Some think it's the same story, but it's not. It's two different occasions, as evidenced by some of the, the differences, and I'll make a minor point to tell you that. So keep that in mind. Here is Jesus on the week of the Passion. It's late in the afternoon on Monday. Verse 15. They came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and he began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers in the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. So when he's not in the temple proper, he's in the courtyard. So here he comes into the temple. He sees the bazaar that's going on. 
Same thing occurred in John chapter 2 a couple of years earlier at the beginning of his ministry when we went to the Passover. So the picture is this. They're in the court of the Gentiles, which would hold several thousand people. Uh, the temple was huge, by the way. The court of women could hold as many as 15,000 people. Uh, the court of the Gentiles could hold thousands of people. He's going through all these picture in the market downtown on a Saturday. He's going through all these tents, all these tables where they're exchanging doves, exchanging sheep, where people are making monetary exchanges of coinage all over the place. There's animals everywhere. And he begins to just turn the tables over. He begins to shove people out of the way. He takes a whip. He takes a cord and begins to drive the money changers out and the people. I mean, he's beating them. I mean, make no mistake. He's beating them with everything that he has of the temple. And, and John chapter 2 really points that out. And he begins to drive all those people away. And I want you to understand, you may, why wasn't there a ruckus? Why wasn't there a riot? It would simply be because the common people would have applauded him for this. They understood the corruption of the Sadducees. They understood what was going on and how they were being treated. And remember, most people look to Jesus favorably. I think I've told you before, when we come just a few days to his betrayal, and they talk about the crowd at the house of Pilate, that what we, sometimes we make out to mean that masses of people came. No, that was a very small, organized crowd that the religious leader, the Sadducees, and some of the Pharisees got. The people loved Jesus, and part of the reason they would love Jesus is exactly because of what he was doing. He was calling out the corruption. And this is what he said. And he quotes Isaiah 56, I think, verse 7. He began to teach. Not just, he began to teach the people. Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a robber's den. <coughs> now look. He said it's a house of prayer for who? For the people of Israel? No. For all the nations. The temple was supposed to be for all the people. Now the Gentiles could not go into the temple proper. But they could go into the area of the court of the Gentiles to worship. That was being denied the Gentiles, the lost people by their religious system, the pagans, the ones going to hell by their religious system, were being denied access to God so they could continue this corrupt practice of swapping out the money. And so he taught them all of this. The chief priests, which are the Sadducees, well, part of the Sadducees, and the scribes heard this, and it says they began seeking how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him, for the whole crowd was astonished at what he taught. Now, the scribes are oftentimes connected to the Pharisees, and rightly so, but not all scribes are Pharisees, and certainly not all Pharisees are scribes. The chief priests, the people connected to the temple, which would include many Sadducees, which would include the house of Annas, Caiaphas. Some of the scribes, this was, this was it. I, I've said this before, and, and, and it would be a bit of an overstatement. But here's the thing. The Pharisees never really had the ability to put Jesus to death. For one thing, the Pharisees hated the Romans. And the Pharisees were unlikely to want to do anything with the Romans. They hated the Sadducees. Now, to get Jesus crucified... Some of the Pharisees certainly were involved. In fact, if you keep on reading some of the things, you see the Pharisees asking questions, trying to trip Jesus up. Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians got together, the scribes, to try to crucify Jesus. But it wasn't the Pharisees who were able to do this. Part of the lore, part of the thing about the Sadducees, is that they were highly connected to the Roman government. The Romans kept them in power. The Romans determined who was the high priest, not the priesthood. 
And so basically, the, the Sadducees had sold their soul to the devil in more ways than one. And part of that was, was their relationship with the Romans. Whereas the Pharisees despised and hated the Romans, and the Pharisees wanted a Messiah who would come and overthrow the Roman government politically, the Sadducees did not want that. The Sadducees were stinking rich. I mean, the Romans gave the Sadducees the best life possible. If you don't believe in an afterlife, okay, you don't believe in a heaven and a hell, and you believe this life is all there is. And in this life, you're at the cream. You're the top. You're making money hand over fist. Why in the world would you want anyone to disrupt that? And they didn't. So now the Sadducees have decided, we have got to find a way to kill Jesus. It's not because he committed blasphemy. It's not because he said he was the son of God, which Caiaphas will do. It's because he was disrupting their system. Now, for the people, the average person, for the Pharisees, there was religious connotations involved. The Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus because he had basically said the religion was corrupt. And it was. And he was changing the oral law, the tradition, and he was blaspheming. The Pharisees were religious believers. Their religion was wrong. They were believers. Sadducees weren't that way. So it says... They wanted to destroy him, but they were afraid of him because the crowd were astonished at his teaching. The crowd was with Jesus. They didn't do anything to Jesus then because there were thousands of Jews who were happy with what Jesus did. Had they tried to arrest Jesus, the Jews would have turned on them and attacked them. Now, when he did this two years earlier, the, the Sadducees ask him, by what authority are you doing this? And I mean, he's gonna, he's, they're going to do that same thing in just a minute, but I'm, hold, but I'm just going to say, when he was asked that in John, he basically said, if you destroy this temple, I will rebuild it in three days. And they said it took 46 years to build this temple. How are you going to build it in three days? He wasn't talking about the temple. That was an early prelude, an early foreshadowing of this temple being Jesus. The true temple to God was not that temple. The true temple to God is Jesus. Please understand this. In a minute, I'm on top of the destruction of the temple. The Jews, when the temple was destroyed, even before the temple, were not truly worshiping God. And when Jesus came, the book of Hebrews makes clear, he did away with all of that stuff. Jesus is the true tabernacle. He's the true high priest. There is no temple left. I hear, I hear so many views and people talking about the end times. They're going to rebuild the temple. And the Jews are going to do this, that, and the other. I, I, I don't, I, so what? It doesn't mean anything. Because there is no more worship at the temple. You can build thousands of temples. That system is dead. Jesus is the temple the high priest, the sacrifice. How do we know that? Because the New Testament tells us that. He tells us that. Paul tells us that. Peter tells us that. And the guy who wrote Hebrews, whoever he may be, God bless him, he told us all that. And this is Jesus is the temple. But he's really upset with them because of the corruption that's leading the people astray. Now, he goes wherever he's staying, and he comes back the next day, which is Tuesday. 
And in verse 27 of chapter 11, they, that is the apostles and Jesus, came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking into the temple, they were there to meet him. The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him. The head of all the Judaism. They were there. They were waiting for Jesus. And they began to say to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do this? Now, this is a legitimate question. Because in Jewish life, authority mattered. I've told you this not too long ago. I can remember if it was a Sunday morning or a Wednesday talking about the authority of Jesus. The ecclesia, the right he had as, as God in the flesh. Now, back then, authority to do things was derived primarily through the Jews. And the people, there was two ways for authority to occur, to have the authority to do something. Primarily, it was through the Jewish leadership, through the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a Jewish ruling council. Seventy people. Some of them were Sadducees. A few were Pharisees. The head of it was the high priest. Pharisees sat on the ruling council. Uh, when the, the Jews put Jesus to death, it was part of the Sadducee, part of the Sanhedrin that did that. Certainly, some of the Pharisees didn't go along with it. Nicodemus, Gamaliel, Joseph, Amethia, probably others. <coughs> it was primarily that part that was directed by the priests. So they said, what authority? Because we didn't give you authority. The Jewish ruling council, the Sadducees, the keeper of the temple, didn't give Jesus authority. Another way to get authority, in essence, was to be so prolific in what you did and you taught and your teachings be so completely followed by so many masses of people and understood over time that you were considered an authority. An example of that would be a man named Hillel. I've mentioned Hillel before. Hillel, a few, hundred, you know, a few generations before Jesus, uh, was a great rabbi, scholar, a lot of times when they came to Jesus in these discourses, they were quoting from the things that Hillel had taught. Over time, Hillel had come to be an authority. So was he, was he, he wasn't anything like that. So they're saying, where's your authority? Who authorized you? It wasn't the Sadducees. It wasn't the scribes, which were, were, where Hillel was from. The Sadducees didn't do it. The scribes didn't do it. Where did you get this authority? Because what they wanted to prove is he didn't have the authority to do any of that. And if he didn't have the authority to do any of that, then they could, in essence, condemn him for what he did in front of the people. So Jesus said, I will ask you one question, and you answer me, and then I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. And he says, was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me this. Simple question. John's baptism. Now understand, while some of the Pharisees did respond to John, most did not. But beyond the Pharisees, that's not the issue. None of the Sadducees recognized John. None. And basically none of the scribes. But the people did. Because remember, the masses flocked to John the Baptist. And they began reasoning among themselves. If we say from heaven, he will say then, then why did you not believe him? That's legitimate. He, he just said, was it from heaven or hell? That's what he wants to know. Or from men. Was it from heaven or sorry of men? But if we say from men, which is what they believed, they were afraid of the people. And everyone considered John to be a real prophet. They, they were scared of the people turning on him. And they said, we don't know. He took the coward's way out. And Jesus said, nor will I tell you about what authority I do these things. So he didn't do that. Now, now right after that, Jesus is going to tell us the parable of the vine growers. So I want you to understand, this then has become the real issue. 
The issue then is that Caiaphas, the high priest, who was part of this kind of group that is led by Annas, his father-in-law, they are in charge of all that goes with the temple. And Jesus has challenged their authority. And they can't do anything about it. He turned over the money changers and all that in the court of the Gentiles. And because the people were so on Jesus' side, they couldn't do anything about it. And so they decided to get him trapped in a, in, in a question. And so they asked him this question by authority to, to trap him again. And he didn't do anything then. In fact, he's going to go in chapter 12. He talks the story of the vineyard. And then they begin getting together. And the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes become asking him questions one after the other. The Pharisees ask him a question about paying taxes to Caesar. And then Jesus just rips through that. Give to Caesar what is Caesar. Give to God what is God. They can do anything about that. The Sadducees in chapter 12, verse 18, come asking about the resurrection and marriage. He just rips them to shred. Can't do anything about that. Then in verse 18, one of the scribes came. They ask him what the greatest commandment is. He said, quoted scripture, love God. Oh, by the way, there's another one, love other people. And the scribe said, you're right. You, 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 that's what the right answer. And they couldn't do anything. And then it, 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 and eventually it just says that the, it was so great that they just stopped asking him questions. They were done. And then Jesus, on Tuesday night, he does a story about the widow's mite, which I'm going to do Sunday. And then chapter 13 of Mark, here's what it says. He was going out of the temple, and one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. The temple is magnificent. And it was. And he said to him, Do you see this great, these great buildings? Which was, the temple had multiple buildings around it. Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. So the temple is going to be destroyed. He goes on the Mount of Olives and gives them the Olivet Discourse, which I'm going to go over in a few weeks, I think. Forty years after Jesus said this. Forty years. This is the same day that he drove the money changers out of the temple. The Romans destroyed the temple, destroyed Judaism, and completely abolished the Sadducees. Not the Pharisees. Pharisees lived on. Not the Sadducees. There were no Sadducees. There was no priesthood. There was no temple. And there was no Jerusalem. Forty years after this day. The things for us to try to understand when we come to these the scriptures, especially the New Testament, it's what a radically fundamental break from their world Jesus was. What he offered was not just a repudiation of every religious system. It was a recognition of the absolute corruption that had occurred among the Jews. It was so vile, so corrupt in the eyes of God, not the people, the system, and the leaders who have done it, that God destroyed the whole thing. Judaism without a temple is nothing. Judaism without a priesthood is nothing. We say there are five great religions. You know, Islam and there's Christianity, you know, and there's you know, Buddhists and there, there's Hindus and there's Judaism. The problem is Judaism doesn't exist really. 
Because the fundamental aspect of their religious system is the temple. There's no temple because Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the temple. And he replaced and did away with all of that. And so, two days later, this is Tuesday, on Thursday, Judas would betray Jesus to the Sadducees. And the Pharisees, it's the Sadducees. And Caiaphas would lead a group of people to condemn him to death for blasphemy. And then take him to Pilate and have Pilate condemn him to death for treason. It wasn't the Pharisees who did that. It's the Sadducees. And it was because the battle of the temple, which Jesus said, I'm it, and he would destroy the rest. That's where it occurred. So, I actually went through that pretty quicker than I thought I would. So, Joe, I'm sorry. I'm going to ask questions. If they don't ask me, go, but Brian will be happy. Do you have any questions that you want to ask about this or anything else for that matter? We got a few minutes. Yes, sir. The scribes were the lawyers, scribes. They were the scholars. They were the experts. They were the equivalent of seminary professors, PhDs. When you watch some of these shows and they have a New Testament scholar, half the time they have no idea what they're talking about. That was the scribes. The scribes were the ones, the scribes were close to the Pharisees. They weren't necessarily Pharisees, and Pharisees weren't necessarily at all scribes. But they were the ones who would interpret the law. Uh, the great Rabbi Hillel, the great Rabbi Shemaiah, uh, they were the scribes who would help interpret. You, you had the law that was written in, in the prophets. You had the oral law. You had the commentary on the oral law. You had commentaries on commentaries. And so the scribes were the ones who debated and decided what was this and what was that. And so they were the experts uh, in the Old Testament. They were the experts in the oral tradition and all the different, the Talmud and Mishnah and all the commentaries that go with it. It's a very, it's a very complicated and convoluted system. When you leave the Old Testament, you come to the New Testament. Judaism is a system with multiple layers. It's very complicated. There's no scribe in the Old Testament. The Old Testament had priests. Prophet, king. Time you get to the New Testament, you have Pharisee, Sadducee, Herodian, Zealot, Scribe, uh, and others, Essians. And so you have multiple layers. So those were the people who called lawyers, religious leaders, scribes. Yes? No, they were almost exclusively Pharisees. But they would associate with the Sadducees on some events. They were closely aligned with the Pharisees. Because the Sadducees and scribes would not agree upon. See, the Sadducees didn't believe in the oral law or the interpretation. They only believed in the first five books and nothing else, where the scribes believed in all of that. So normally they were enemies. But sometimes the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and they all thought Jesus was the enemy. They all became strange bedfellows. Yes? Isn't that because the scribes were the ones that copied the scriptures letter by letter? Well, the, the guy, I mean, when, when, they wrote and trans, when they wrote the Old Testament down or translated the Old Testament uh, from Hebrew and the Greek and the Septuagint and all that, uh, those guys were in Alexandria, for instance. In Egypt, they did that. Um, there were different, I mean, scribes would do that, but that wasn't exclusively what they did. Scribes were interpreters of the law, experts in the law. Some of them might 
uh, copy down scriptures and write them down verbatim. Um, but that's not necessarily the only thing that they did. Anybody could, anybody could copy down the scriptures if they had access to them. Uh, the scribes were the interpreters of the law, though they might do that as well. Anything else? Okay. Yes, ma'am. Well, no, they, Judaism, Jews, well, it depends on the Jew. Judaism has a place for heaven and hell. Uh, most of the Jews that I know believe in heaven and hell. They believe in the place of the dead. Uh, Judaism, as a religion, doesn't take, it, it, is, it doesn't look like it looks like in Scripture, so it's kind of a hard thing. But uh, it depends on who the Jew is, I guess. I'm sure there are some that don't, um, maybe some Orthodox and all that. I'm not, I'm not really up to date on that. Jews I knew uh, all believe in something like that, but most of them, are, most Jews today are rather secular, um, and they identify as Jewish more as an ethnic identity more than religion per se. Uh, not, I said most, a lot of them do, but a lot of them still are very devout in their faith, Hasidic Jews, Orthodox Jews, others like that. else? Somebody's had enough back there, so I guess we're through. All right. Atlas said we're over. She'll look up. Don't go steal your kids out of a one yet. They got about half an hour left, so remember that.